Final moments of Suleiman Fakiri's life was shown on video at the inquest into his death. Sugar Strike fills the Canadian press with bitter puns. Strikes begin in Quebec and Stellantis hires temporary foreign workers despite $15 billion from governments to operate in Canada. Good morning. It's Tuesday, November 21st. I'm Nora and here are your headlines. We start this morning in Toronto, where the final moments of Suleiman Fakiri's life were showed in a courtroom for the first time since he died in 2016. Fakiri was murdered by guards at the Central East Correctional Centre in Lindsay, Ontario. He was shackled and his face was covered at the time of his death. He was 30 years old. Suleiman had schizophrenia, and as counsel for the inquest said to the jury, he shouldn't have died. But more than that, he shouldn't have even been in jail at all. He should have been given health resources to deal with psychotic issues, not sitting in segregation in a Lindsay cell where he ultimately died. His psychiatric health was deteriorating, and rather than recognizing that he needed immediate health services... Guards didn't even give him a health assessment. He died the day after they decided to not assess him. In an article for CBC News, Shanifa Nasser reported that Yusuf, Suleiman's brother, said this, quote, Seeing my brother walking on that hallway video today was incredibly hard. Soli looked scared, cold, and defenseless. What was done to my brother in that tiny cell, all the battery and force that was applied to him, it's horrific, unquote. The video starts with Suleiman in the shower. Guards argued about how to move him from the shower to his cell, considering his mental state. Some guards wanted to wait for a specialized unit, and others began to move him themselves. As they cuffed him and moved him, he was pulled by the cuffs, which caused him to slip on the wet floor while only wearing a pair of boxers. Then, when they moved him into his cell, Suleiman spits on a manager, who then slaps him twice in the face or head. They pepper sprayed him several times. The entire group of people enter the 2.5 by 5 meter cell. Then, off camera, several guards enter the cell and Suleiman is kicked and punched, restrained on his front, things that someone in an adjacent cell witnessed. Suleiman's death was deemed quote-unquote unascertained, but it was then considered to be due to injuries and being restrained face down. No one was ever charged in his death. The inquest might make recommendations to prevent similar deaths in the future, but any recommendation would be non-binding. Now to strike news, but also a study in anti-union bias. An article by Amanda Stevenson at the Canadian Press is titled, quote, Strike at Vancouver Sugar Refinery Taking the Sweetness Out of the Holiday Season for Business, unquote. Now, let's talk about this frame before I give you the details. First of all, November is not a holiday season. There are no holidays right this moment. And second, strikes don't last forever unless an employer refuses to budge on certain issues. Why would the Canadian press assume that this strike is going to continue until December and throughout? Okay, so here are the details. First, Stevenson uses too many puns. It starts by calling the strike bitter, which I assume it actually is, and it isn't just that Stevenson is trying to use bitter versus sweet throughout the article, but because of the puns, it's hard to say. Maybe it's not totally bitter. 
Rogers Sugar workers have been on strike for seven weeks, but rather than profiling a striking worker or mentioning what the strike is over, Stevenson decides to focus on small business owners across Western Canada who depend on sugar to make sugary things, like Lugato Bake Shop in Vancouver. The owner of Lugato is worried that she'll lose money because she can't make as much as she usually makes with a sugar shortage. And just to make sure we feel extra bad for this owner, Stevenson writes that the free loan that she got during the COVID pandemic comes due this year. It was supposed to come due last year, and we were all told to be ready to pay it off last year, but the government pushed that deadline off by a year. And I say we, because my own organization, a not-for-profit, also got those loans and have been prepared to pay them off now for two years. Anyway, back to the story, which doesn't still mention anything about the strike itself or the workers who are probably in a way worse financial situation than Tanya Muller from Legato. Stevenson then quotes Martin Barnett, who is the executive director of the Baking Association of Canada. He helpfully explains that bakeries make a lot of money at the holiday season. Quote, if they're not able to produce the volume that they expected to, it is going to impact them, and we may see a few small bakeries have to close. Unquote. A very classic line that we can read over and over and over in anti-strike bias articles in this country. Next, we learn about Canada's sugar industry. Finally, there are three refineries in the country, one in Toronto owned by Redpath, one in Vancouver and one in Montreal. Both are operated by Rogers Sugar. The Vancouver refinery is where workers are on strike. 138 of them have been off work since September 28th. The union, the Public and Private Workers of Canada Local 8, says that the key issues are wages, benefits, and a proposal to push workers to work 24 hours a day, 365 days per year. I wonder what Tanya Mueller thinks about that. Why didn't Stevenson think to ask her or the guy from the Bakery Association, I wonder. The plant already does operate 24 hours a day, but only Monday to Friday. The plant is closed on Saturday and Sunday. The bosses want the workers' weekends now, too. Stevenson goes back to the bakers who are concerned about the sugar, mainly that costs have increased. The article doesn't explain why prices are increasing, if the owner is jacking up the prices because the sugar supply is running out, or if they're taking advantage of the strike, or, as is mentioned briefly, is the strike even the key driver of these prices because worldwide sugar prices are highest they have been since 2011? It's hard to make sense as to what is making the prices increase, but the way that Stevenson writes it blames the increase on the strike. We don't get a sense at all of what the workers are paid or what it would do to them to be working seven days a week rather than five, all in the service of small businesses that just want to make sugar cookies for Christmas. Anyway, management is quoted at the end of the piece saying that there are some kinds of sugar in shorter supply, but there's a lot of other sugar products in bulk. So don't worry too much, says the company's CFO, Jean-Sébastien Cuillard. Next, more strike news. Strikes have started in Quebec today. Many schools, my kids included, are closed as support staff walk off the job. Teachers, nurses, personal care workers, other health professionals, other public sector workers are all scheduled to walk off the job this week. After all the strike dates have passed, there will have been more than 700,000 workers in the province on strike. With less than 24 hours before the strike deadline, Minister of Labour and noted xenophobe Jean Boulet announced that he had nominated a conciliator to oversee the negotiations. That announcement came just hours after the Franc Commun asked for a conciliator to be appointed. 
Stéphane Bordelot for Radio-Canada reports that two unions outside of the Front Commun, the Fédération Autonome de l'Éducation and the Fédération des Infirmières de Québec, have not requested a conciliator. The Front Commun workers will go on strike for three days. Those will include CSN workers, APTS workers, the CSQ members, and FTQ, about 420,000 public sector employees in total. The nurses will go on strike November 23rd and 24th, and the FAR will go on unlimited strike as of Thursday. For what it's worth, our teachers have all said they expect to be out of the job for at least one week. The negotiations are a massive undertaking. Bordelot reports that if you count each sector, there are more than 100 active negotiating tables. And finally, here is a wild story. Colin DeMello from Global News is reporting that, quote unquote, a handful of temporary foreign workers from South Korea have been hired to work in Windsor to set up the new Stellantis electric vehicle battery manufacturing plant. This factory, you might remember, was promised $15 billion from the federal and provincial governments to set up in Windsor. DeMello calls this money, quote unquote, performance incentives, though doesn't define what those incentives are. Now, for some reason, the information about temporary foreign workers arriving in Windsor came from the Windsor police on Twitter, which, by the way, Ontario police are having a bang up week this week on Twitter. Search Barry police if you haven't seen that one yet. In a tweet, the Windsor police posted pictures of a meeting with Lim Wung Song, South Korea's ambassador, who is meeting with people in Windsor about the, quote, approximately 1,600 South Koreans traveling to work and live in our community in 2024, unquote. Now, I have a million questions about why Windsor police would be in a meeting talking about 1,600 temporary foreign workers coming to Windsor in the first place. What on earth do police have to do with anything? And how many other meetings are police forces in about temporary foreign workers in general? The company applied for a labor market impact assessment to show that it couldn't hire Canadians and therefore needs to hire temporary foreign workers. When pressed about this by journalists, Minister Vic Fideli blamed the federal government. NDP leader Merritt Stiles said this, quote, This deal was supposed to guarantee jobs right here in Ontario, jobs for people in the Windsor region. We gotta hope they don't just sell us a bill of goods here, unquote. That's right, Merritt, we gotta hope. We gotta hope. That's all you got. Hope. Nothing real. Unifor and the Conservatives were also both concerned by the news. Of course, this is all a reminder that this deal sucked, will suck, and continues to suck. And when governments hand cash to corporations just for the pleasure of being able to operate in Canada, it isn't too far from classic corruption. No one should be surprised that this is happening. The Temporary Foreign Worker Program exists to allow employers to exploit workers. And of course, employers are going to use it because that's how this all works. Anyway, there are a few jobs open right now for the new plant, 22 of them to be exact, but DeMello mentions that some require fluency in Korean. Now, that might be hard to find in Windsor and would be an easy way for the company to claim that Canadian workers just aren't qualified and available to work at this plant. A very clever loophole. Those are your headlines for Tuesday, November 21st. I'm Nora. Today is Tuesday. It is Sandy and Nora Day, so make sure you tune in in a couple of hours when the new episode drops. Also, don't forget, we're heading to Winnipeg on Friday. Don't forget to get your tickets. They are available at thepointofsale.com.
you're listening to this podcast at sandyandnor.com on the Real News Network podcast feed or anywhere you get your podcasts. Have a great Tuesday and stay tuned.